John Roderick. We speak to you from our present, which we can only assume is your distant past, the turbulent time that was the early 21st century. Fearing the great cataclysm that will surely befall our civilization, we began this monumental reference of strange and obscure human knowledge. These recordings represent our attempt to compile and preserve wonders and esoterica that would otherwise be lost. So whether you're listening from an advanced civilization or have just reinvented the technology to decrypt our transmissions, this is our legacy to you. This is our time capsule. This is the Omnibus. You have accessed Omnibus Addenda, Volume 33, Trente Trace, Entry 747.PR0425, Certificate Number 27012, Magic Eye. Why are we back here, (laughs) Magic Eye? I think because people do not always listen to the omnibus in real time in the order we record it sometimes they discover it later and then they have addenda for a show we did years ago but it's new to them yes uh in this case fabian from laramie wyoming i can only or one of the other laramies one of the many other laramies layers of me uh has recently been able to see the 3d hidden pictures in magic eye oh congratulations and he wants to send you a link who me personally he wants to send me a link. Yes. In fact, no, this wasn't the guy who somebody had a um somebody actually had like bit ly a, a link. Let me see. Was it him? It was not him. Is this another one of these I'm gonna teach you how to do magic eye? Yes, and I think it's doomed to fail. Have you ever tried one that actually has two dots you're trying to line up? Yes. Okay, so this was his discovery that some of them have dots. I was like, look, buddy, when these came out in the nineties. They all had dots. They or a all lot of had dots. Or dots were, were early innovation. I am going to email you right now. Oh, wait. I sent this to you yesterday, didn't I? I don't know. I only look at my email once a month. I'm sending this to you right now. This Reddit. Uh, I don't know how to find out what thread this was even in. If anyone within the sound of my voice wants to try to get a magic eye to work... You have to go to i.reddid slash hvjawt number eight jtve seven one jpeg. Wow! Welcome to the latest Russian virus. That's Hotel <laughs> Vector Juliet uh, Alpha Whiskey Eight Juliet Tango Victor. What's E uh, Echo seven one? I'm impressed. Jpeg. Ken. Uh, well done. Did you study our, our uh, Zulu alphabet entry? 
in the omnibus. The thing is, that's not helpful on the phone when you're t- when you're trying to read your uh, confirmation code to airlines because they just have like a, a normal one that has normal words like Nancy. You know, yeah, right? I, I think w- all Americans should learn that one and not the weird NATO one that makes you sound like a fighter pilot. <laughs> yeah, I think Americans should all strive to sound like fighter pilots. That's the difference between you and me. Have you got? The I'm email? never going to say Nancy. Do you have the email that I sent oh, you? Let me see here. There is an email waiting for me. Okay, click it on, is from Omnibus Project. Click on that link. I am clicking on that link. You mean HVJWT8JTVE71? All right, so now I'm... So there's two, there's two red dots in the center of this graphic. All right, now I'm going to do what to them? Make your eyes go kind of wall-eyed yeah. so that the one on the right moves to the left and the one on the left moves to the right. You should be able to stabilize at a position where there are now three dots. Wait. They're going to move to the left and right, but they're now going to be three? Well, the the one on the left will be on the left, the one on the right will be on the right, and an overlapped double image of them both should lock into the center. Got it. Wait, did it work? Well, I see a thing. What is it, a UFO? A bird? Yeah, yeah wait. It's a UFO. It's a UFO? Well, it's, it's, it's Saturn. But yeah, do you, do you now see the middle red thing as kind of a hole in a, in a 3D thing? I do. I see that there is a third dimension, but it just looks like a piece of paper that had a bunch of stars on it that now has a hole in it. It looks like a baby Yoda. I'm not sure I see the. I guess I do. The things. So it's it's. it's Wait, it's, you're also looking at it? Yeah, I'm looking at it right now. Do you think there's only one of these, and you? <laughs> I can't see it while you've got it locked. <laughs> uh, yeah, oh, okay, it's a Saturn or a baby Yoda or a UFO. Which is it? I think it's pretty clearly a Saturn. It's a there's a round disc, oh, and, the, I see. and the ring around it is coming at you for closer than the. Disc I see itself. the little areas between the ring and the planet. I see are yeah. There's you see, see how there's holes. But the, but the if three you, red can, drop, you, can you move your eye away from the middle red dot and keep the keep the degree yes. of distance needed to keep the picture in focus? Yes, but but the red dots there the three red dots are very um, distracting. Now that, now the that, dots were the only thing that helped you see this, and now you're like, well, if they didn't have these damn dots. Well, yeah, now that I'm here, how do I erase <laughs> the dots and get back to seeing the, the image? Fabian from Laramie, could you send us a version of this that doesn't have the dots so we can enjoy what the sat- planet Saturn looks like so without wait, these damn dots? This is what it was all about? Are you you're underwhelmed? Well, it's just, it's not, I kept thinking that something was going to appear. This is just like some eye trick where it looks like the napkins folded. Well, obviously, no. I mean, the whatever appear the 3D form that appears is always going to have the background pattern. Oh, but as you move around, it. you can kind of look down into it. It's sort of like it's sort of like enhance. You can look around corners in a Polaroid picture and see a see a, a boa made out of fake snakes. But yes, it always just looks like the background thing is kind of oh. you know rippling or projecting in some way. Well, that's super dumb. <laughs> I thought you could see it and all of a sudden it would turn into an anaconda or something. It's just like a... Did you think it would move? Well, no, that I thought... I didn't realize that it was just going to be the same Well, it's 3D. Some parts of it are closer to you than other things. That's all 3D is. I don't know what else you expected. Well, it's been 35 years I've been trying to see these things. And now I finally have done it and it's like... I can't believe Fabian from Laramie just sends you some random link... And now you're like, oh yeah, it's a baby Yoda or something. Yeah, but but like also a, it sucks. It's like a baby Yoda and it oh I looked away, I looked back and it's gone. <gasps> wow. See, it is magic. Cool. Now you're excited that you can't see it. Well, yeah, it was just as exciting for it to go away as it was 
I, 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 I tried to look away and look back. Something about maybe the way the, the fact that these dots are big or that they're in the middle instead of on the bottom edge or maybe that they're, they're a color that also appears in the pattern. But it does seem like this one does snap in really easily. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I got there right away. Wow. Well, thanks, Fabian, for that incredible experience. I feel like I've traveled... All the way, have you traveled all the way to Laramie, Wyoming? No, I traveled to Saturn and back. <laughs> Both equally inhospitable. Entry 514.pp0203. <laughs> Certificate number 25968. Games Buddha wouldn't play. This show is also maybe a year old, but I don't know. Oh, it's a little more than a year, isn't it? It's well, I mean, from time, it's this, oh, no. time, time's an illusion. I guess it is. It's just a year. Really, uh, almost exactly a year. Weird. Time has slowed down. It feels like a long time ago. The again. pandemic. The uh, I don't believe we heard from any actual Buddhists on this entry until now. As far as we know. Yeah, they didn't identify themselves. Right. But this person did. My husband and I are practicing Buddhists. Yeah. I'm a vegetarian. Okay. Uh, no, this is interesting. Please they, don't hurt me. They often visit a monastery in the Catskills. Presumably a, a, a Buddhist one. One hopes. it's Maybe it's a Chautauqua. Is the, is the, are the Catskills now for Jews and Buddhists? So th- there's a big fence down the middle. Judists? Ju- Jews on one side and Buddhists on the other. So I guess, you know, uh, Christy and her husband do retreats there um, with the monks, and she can report that the monastics are definitely playing games the Buddha wouldn't play. What games? Specifically, basketball. That is right on the list of games Buddha would not play. No, I thought you were going to say Settlers of Catan. <laughs> yeah, and, and Settlers of Catan. Well, yeah, it, it's balls, right? Balls yeah, are, right. Uh, are right out. Yes, they are. They watched a three-on-three pickup game of basketball. The monks were playing lay practitioners. And the monks, if you're picturing them dressed in their robes, that is correct. And she says the monks were doing a lot of talking. Oh, one of them literally dunked on one of the lay players. Okay. And then another monk told And then his, he was under his robe. Yeah. He's like, oh no. Lol. He's hanging from the rim. Yeah. See, those are the Gyrating. those are the two balls that Buddha said you couldn't play with. And another monk told his opponent, Don't you let me get that ball. You know what happens when I get that ball. Oh boy. I know, right? That's some street talk. It's not particularly a uh, a, a tranquil point of view on uh, on life's uh, challenges and conflict. So I'm guessing that these uh, monks are not actually from Tibet. <laughs> yeah, they're all. <laughs> they all look like the Dalai Lama. <laughs> no, you're right. But I bet they have the shaved heads. Yeah, sure, sure, sure. But they. But I'm but now they picturing just look like them, Michael Stipe. Yeah, with like Bronx accents. This was happening while we were all supposed to be quietly walking to scheduled sitting meditation in the meditation hall, but they all skipped sitting to keep playing. It's it's coming out of their okay. meditation time. Okay. Not I have also sure. I have also as a Mormon missionary, I have also played basketball during monastic service. Did you, did you uh, trash talk? N- no. Did you dunk and gyrate there in was, your opponent's face? There was in fact only one day a week we were allowed to play basketball as a, you know, a wholesome recreational entertainment. Did you sneak a pen out of one of your friend's pocket protectors? I think, isn't there some video that went viral of like, like more missionaries kind of pretending they can't ball and then like, and then going to onto a <laughs> substreet kids and then suddenly revealing that they uh, like, you know, can't miss three pointers or and something. In, and inevitably convert them to Mormonism. Yes. All those kids, once they, you're so good at basketball. No, those were the stakes of the game. Before the game, they said, oh. Hey, we'll play you, but um, 
we're going to baptize you like immediately after the game if we get to 15 first. If we lose, you can have all of our pens. If you lose... <laughs> I don't think pens are as big a part of any kind of monastic life as you're imagining. Maybe just, maybe like uh, in the Middle Ages when they were illuminating manuscripts. If I When I picture a Mormon missionary, they're in a white short sleeve button-down shirt... Yeah, but that and they is, have a name tag. But it's not a pocket protector; it's just a name tag. And then a pocket protector with, that's full of pens. Am I conflating two yes, two you're, groups? You're, conf- you're conflating like <laughs> NASA engineers from also, the '60s, also wearing short sleeve white shirts. I mean, it's the only people that wear short sleeve white shirts, right? Right. Except you can't wear one of those Gene Kranz vests when you're a, a Mormon missionary. I think. Is, is there a dress code that says you can't wear a cool NASA NASA vest? No cool NASA vest. It's a, that's the only <laughs> element of the dress code. Wait, are there any peoples? Who wear white sleeve or short sleeve button down ironed shirts that aren't either 60s NASA engineers or 90s Mormon missionaries? Who else is buying them? I mean, maybe airline pilots? No, they have long sleeve shirts. I think, you know who it is? It's, It's commuter pilots in Hawaii and Southern California, but those shirts have epaulets. Yes. They're white, they're short sleeve. They have pocket protectors, but maybe, they have outlets. Maybe those guys are just buying uh, regular Mormon missionary shirts and having their their spouses or significant others sew on epaulets. I, if anyone is listening and can write in with a third group of people who wear short sleeve, button-down, white shirts. Then John will become converted to your religion. I but will. if you're wrong— <laughs> You are now Mormon. Then you have Just to convert to Ken's having, religion. Just by having listening, listened to this uh, addendum. Entry 1394.GE4130. Certificate number 24180. The video game crash of 1983. This is a fairly recent episode. Uh, yeah, 1983. It was, only, mm-hmm. it was only 39 years ago. Mm-hmm. Lindsay... Writes in with an A or an E with an A Y. Lindsay appears to be a British male. A Ys are usually men, right? Not necessarily in the United States, but I'm in the UK. In the UK, I think Lindsay. Lindsay, I say. You have to say it like that. I say Lindsay. 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 Lindsay Buckingham. Colonel Lindsay, come here immediately. Uh, Pointed out. The work, the influential late 1970s work of sociologist Michael Thompson, a uh, cultural theory critic who created an influential, he wrote an influential book I was not aware of about rubbish theory. Yes. And this is this is relevant to uh, the video game crash. Go on, Lindsay. The uh, rubbish theory uh, postulates that there are basically two classes of objects come in two basic categories. There are transient things here today, gone tomorrow, you know, a, a Ziploc bag or something. And Every then the, one of my thoughts, right? All of your ideas. Then there's durable things, a joy yeah. forever. Like all of my thoughts like and your ideas, thoughts, yeah. you know, like, uh, it's the difference between a can of Dr. Pepper zero and a, house well say say for instance these blues jeans that i'm wearing these blues jean that i'm wearing here uh are they a durable or transitory good certainly more durable than transient although with today's jean manufacturing yeah but these are strong american jeans 
that are made in Mexico or Indonesia. Not my, not my flimsy <laughs> millimeter thick Uniqlo jeans that really make my butt look good, but wear out, uh, wear out between the legs in, uh, yeah. in 20 minutes. Uh, but rubbish theory postulates a third category between them oh. called rubbish. You know, everything you buy, including those jeans, will have its value decline the longer you own it and use it. Except for your ideas. <laughs> Except for all my ideas, which will survive to the far future, to the heat death of the universe. The, as the value approaches zero, they become rubbish. But there's this cultural alchemy that can happen sometimes where things that have already been decided to be rubbish can come back. They can move backwards into value. And his book kind of explores... Like more ideas. <laughs> yes. Currently, <laughs> wow. currently uh, like, uh, totally cancelable, but in yeah. 100 years... Don't read my journals now, <laughs> but one day I'll be, I'll be vindicated. Did you see that thing that was going around today, the, uh, the interview with Richard Nixon, where he just spent like two minutes describing... It was the internet. No, you'll have something called electronic mail. <laughs> no, it was it was after uh, you know after the the um, so it was in the nineties, uh, and he was saying now that now that communism has fallen, it is not the end of the of the Cold War. Now we have to prove to the Russians and the Chinese that democracy and freedom are good. And if we fail to convert the Russians to having to, to enjoying the freedoms of democracy, then they will fall backward into, and then they will have a good example of why the West is decadent and doesn't work. And he goes on in one and a half minutes to basically describe current conditions to a T. And it's like, what if you made a hundred of those with different, well done, all for different Nixon. outcomes? I know. <laughs> <laughs> I'd like you to release the one of these that makes Clinton look like an a-hole. <laughs> when you finally discover, no, I'm doing my dad. I can't, I can't, I can't that's do my dad as that's just. That's disrespectful to your dad to make him say would. Nixonian uh, he, He'd be so thoughts. furious that I started to do Nixon and it sounded like him. So he, you know, this book, Thompson's book just explores what the factors are that magically instill something, some pieces of rubbish with new value. I, I assume it's because we were talking about old video games that are now loved for their nostalgic purposes. Well, yeah, but tell me more. I'm really interested in making sure that my rubbish ideas now become, uh, become super valuable in the future. Thompson is concerned with things. Uh, for example, oh, he uses examples, you know, he uses examples, you know, these, uh, Victorian woven silk pictures called Stephen graphs or the New Guinean practice of ceremonial pig giving. I don't know why the pig becomes rubbish and then not, but uh, it's just a look at what the different factors are that sometimes make garbage become ungarbage. Speaking of which I was, when we were on the Oregon coast last week, my, uh, I was just in a, going to a series of um, antique stores with my kid. And mm -hmm. you know the one thing we had to buy? A beanie baby. Oh my God. Speaking of rubbish that's now insanely valuable. Why did you have to buy it? Uh, because my kid's eyes lit up. There what, was, which uh, baby was it? It was a, tree, uh, let me see, a tree frog, I think. Okay. Um, we paid $5. And everything in those places is worth, you know, is, is priced too high for but, what it's actually worth. But wait, your kids are like, not yes. kids anymore. This was a 15-year-old <laughs> who wanted the tree frog beanie baby. Okay. And I need a beanie baby collector to call in to, to contact us and tell me how much Panama frog 
Panama the tree frog is actually worth because uh, I probably overpaid. I feel like half the things in my house, I am waiting for them to become, they are rubbish now, mm-hmm. and I'm waiting for them to become valuable in the course of my own life. You just need to read Michael Thompson's book. And, I, I, and he will he will tell you which ones. I watched a documentary about rare book dealers the other night. Oh, I watched that on the plane the other day. That's a nice documentary. It's good. And um, and they were just talking about how the whole business of rare book dealing used to be because you would have the only one people could find. Yeah, and it's like this is actually not a rare or valuable book. It's just the only one in town. And, and as soon as people could find out, wait, there's 87 of these uh, in the United States alone. Yeah, that all of a price sudden is like collapsed. The only things that really truly are rare books are like way either way more expensive than anyone normal could afford. Or fall into this new ephemera category of like, well, this is the only copy of Vibe magazine from 1989 <laughs> left, and so I guess it's rare. I was in the same juncture. I was looking at a lot of 80s and 90s era Rolling Stone magazines that I, I had owned. Yeah, right. And I was like, man, who put that outfit on Paul McCartney? Or uh... There are still one million extant copies of that in people's like flat files somewhere. That's true. And you know, I'm sympathetic to that view. I remember that part of the movie thinking... Yeah, you guys were gouging for centuries, and now you can't anymore because there's perfect information. But even as a shopper, I kind of feel bummed that I can immediately find one of everything now. Because you never have that moment of, okay, maybe the 10th place I go in is going to have the... Uh, you know, the one I'm missing from my collection. But do you ever remember, like, picking up a a first edition of Gatsby and holding it in your hands like, it's a first edition of Gatsby. Well, now you go on and it's like, you want a first edition of Gatsby? How much do you want to pay? This one's got got baby vomit on it. This one has its original dust jacket. There was also the pre-internet time when the store often didn't know what they had. And sometimes you could find a first, not Gatsby, but you could find some rare thing and, and... Nobody would have figured it out, and it's buck fifty at Goodwill. Now everything passes through one nerd. There's actually a bookseller I knew up north who now works full time at Goodwill, and he's the guy in charge of like looking at every book and making sure nothing here could actually go for twenty eight dollars online. It's so funny because he keeps the good stuff out of our hands. I spent so many years trying to figure out that world. And then you realize, like, well, it's a book club edition, so it's not worth anything. Or, oh, it says first edition, but this is what that really means. But it says here that there is a copy of a genuine first edition of The Great Gatsby for $250,000, Ken. But then there are other ones that are, like, $450. Well, if I get the Jeopardy job, I'll get us each one. Hey, thanks. I'm going to keep the nicer one. Lindsay, being from Newcastle, England, was also annoyed that we credited... Newcastle? Yeah. Get a rope. What, what, what are, you, are you so against Newcastle? What's wrong with Newcastle? No, um, uh, Newcastle is where uh, Venom is from. The, the, uh, <laughs> the Spider-Man villain? No, the, the, uh, the splatter metal band, Venom. I'm sure they are the most famous. And Newcastle Brown Ale. From Newcastle. That's also from Newcastle. Do you think when you drive into town, there's like a picture of Venom? Drinking a Newcastle Brown Welcome Ale. to Newcastle, home of Venom. He points out that it's the hometown of Joseph Swan, uh, who is kind of the local. He really invented the light bulb, not Edison guy. At some, oh. point, at some point during this entry, we colloquially mentioned the idea of Edison inventing the light bulb, although I assume you and I both know. Oh, yeah, it was Swan the whole time. That Edison did not invent the first incandescent light bulb. It was just his shop that 
improved the filament so it would last long enough to be a light bulb. So here's a Gatsby with no dust jacket you can get for 12000 bucks. What good is it without a dust jacket, really? Well, that's what I'm asking. I don't like the iconic Gatsby cover with the eyes. No, it's weird. I think it's, I, th- I always think it's been weird. Super creepy. Um, he points out that, uh, yeah, basically he's just sliding on Edison and it sounds like he's been a troublemaker. He says they get very huffy in the Edison house in Florida if you point out Joseph Swan's contributions. Oh. So this guy goes to Edison tourist attractions <laughs> and is like, and gives the guide a hard time. Harumph, harumph in my Newcastle accent. <laughs> What's the adjective for Newcastle? Is it Newcastilian? Is it, that can't be right. <laughs> Newcastle demonym. Novacastrian. No, really? Novacastrian? I knew it would be something Latinate. I think Newcastilian is better. But actually, people say Jordy, so. Oh, right. Jordy. That makes more sense. Yeah. Uh, you know, another uh, person from Newcastle is the singer, the second singer of ACDC. Um, they didn't get some guy from the Philippines like Journey did? No, not not Bon Scott. He's the original one. Yes. And then it was... I don't know who replaced Bon Oh, Scott. come on. I know his name. Bon Iver. No. Bon Marche. No. Bon... I'm out of jokes. No. Bon Mo. Bon No. <laughs> bon Me. <laughs> um, it is... This is so embarrassing. It's uh, the... Everybody the, on the internet's going bananas I right know, now. They're really mad. It's... Uh, Let's just not say it. I just looked it up. Oh, I know it now. Okay, it, the reason the reason is it's a it's like a it's it's a it, non name right Brian Johnson Brian Johnson your, your your coworker Brian Johnson I should have from accounting had that right on the tip of my tongue but he's a Geordie I mean I know enough about him to know that he's that he's a Geordie although I don't think he's actually from Newcastle but pretty close he's not Novacastrian uh, I think he uh, he he's probably some from some tiny village where they wear those Peaky Blinders hats. Entry 088.RV1703. Certificate number 36297. The Babylon Working. So I sent you this email about a guy who's a member of the International Order of Good Templars. Yes. What is this? I don't remember any of this. You don't. The or uh, the the order of good templars does is, this imply that there's other kind of mid templars out there? Uh-huh. The mid templars are the ones you really want to look for. No, I was gonna. Did I? I don't think I actually did an episode on the International Organization of Good Templars. It but came I, up while we were talking about the JPL sex cult, right? I referred to them um, because they are. They're not actually a uh, a Freemason group. They're a, um, but they are some fraternal order with. They're a fraternal order with, cool, with weird rites and stuff. They're named after the Knights Templar, and they are teetotal, and they are anti-Catholic, I think, <laughs> and also Scandinavian. The Scandinavians really jumped on it. Well, here's what Kevin says: in practice, this meant trading alcohol abstinence. Yes. For the oh, I see. Tra- so. I guess what he means is trading alcohol consumption for the opportunity to enjoy six acres of waterfront Mercer Island property in the company of vitriolic Swedes. The hmm. Templars had six acres of, of uh, waterfront on Lake Washington. Do you think they still do? Well, let's find out. Good Templars Mercer Island. Where they do their anti-papist rallies? North Star, the yeah, international order on the other side of the locked gate, says this article. 
Um, is it still there? Yeah. It's oh, it's now a park run by a nonprofit. It provides no, but it provides a family-centered, alcohol and drug-free environment for its 100 members. With wow, and look, it's it, got little white houses. It now appears to be a rehab center. It's the North what? Star Council really? for Alcohol and Drug Education. I, you know, this is almost worth falling off the the wagon just to be invited to hang out in this little place. No, I think you. I think maybe it's not rehab. Maybe you should. You can go there now. Oh, to live an alcohol-free life. That you're sober and enjoy the wholesome um, addiction-free entertainments on offer. I feel like... Look how Scandinavian it looks. If there's one group I turn to for entertainment, it's Scandinavians. Look how Swedish this is. Who puts on a show like a bunch of Swedes? It looks like the house from like Cries and Whispers or Wild Strawberries or something. And it's right uh, right on the lake. That's beautiful. Well, anyway, the um, the Templars. So the Templars do still control Seattle, apparently. The good Templars are not not f- like most famously a Seattle organization. I think they started. Um, I was going to do an episode, and then I stumbled into something else, and it had enough overlap that I stopped. But we still oh, can. You know what? It's uh, like everything. It started in upstate New York in the eighteen fifties. Like every <laughs> kooky squad. <laughs> It uh, it started in Utica, and we still never done chiropractic. Speaking of, oh right, I, I'm thinking about this because uh, we have a listener named Henry who only writes us when we do a show about sex cults. But he writes us every time we do a show about sex cults. Yes, uh, repeatedly. Okay. Uh, he wrote about Oneida, and as a result of the Jack Parsons show. He asked if I knew about the song that. Le- did you know Les Claypool and Sean Lennon have a band? Because I did not. That's how the bass sounds. And then there's some kind of um, reverby John Lennon alike singing over it. That's Yoko. <laughs> or a goat. Uh, this song is actually pretty good. So they did a song called Blood and Rockets, which is actually a bit of an epic. And it's, it's hmm. apparently the Claypool Lennon delirium, at least. To judge by this song is a kind of a psychedelic prog outfit. Um, Blood and Rockets is the whole saga of uh, of Jack Parsons in multiple. Is this a is this a reference to Love and Rockets? <laughs> Maybe, but with more blood. So the li- here are the lyrics. 15 seconds, guidance is internal. 12, 11, 10, 9. Ignition, ignition sequence I guess start. that's spoken word. Oh. It's like the beginning of a space oddity. Yes. I like it so far. It's got a very fun video with uh, kind of old-timey, Melies looking How hard does your graphics. rocket fly? That's the chorus. Oh, it's wait. This is the- basically the commander thinks aloud. Oh, no. You stole their song 10 years earlier. Yeah, the Primus bass hasn't come in yet. But listen to Sean Lennon's vocals. I I know, right? Not really. I mean, do you have to treat the lyrics, to, to treat the vocals to make it sound like that, or...? And the great thing about the Primus bass line is it kind of sounds like, it, it, it kind of gets into some She's So Heavy sounding Well, that's stuff. the thing about Paul. He was the original 
Uh, he was the original Primus. <laughs> he was the original. Why play one note when three will do? That was his. That was his goal as a young lad in Liverpool. He thought, without me, there will be no Primus. Get all the notes, and then <laughs> then there will be a San Francisco like prog funk. And if you're listening to the lyrics, it really is kind of a step by step of Jack Parsons' unusual life. The video has a bunch of phallic oh. rockets with flying through seas of, of breasts, spheres. You know, very um, spheres. It ref- Heavenly it, spheres with it nipples. It refers to Aleister Crowley, or as you say, what well, was it? Sean says Crowley in the lyrics. It rhymes with orgy or something. He rhymes Parsons with arsonist. It's a little suspect. But it's pretty great, right? I mean, I like Primus and have seen Primus. And you, sir, are no Primus. But I like that better than Primus. I like it better than... Don Imus. I think I like it better than the other Sean Nel- uh, Sean Lennon. I oops. Call him, oops, the other Sean Lennon stuff I've heard. I believe Claypool Lennon Delirium may be my gateway into the careers of both men. I thought you were going to say into the Beatles. <laughs> I'm going to start listening to the Beatles now. I'm going to learn their entire catalog. I now believe the Claypool Lennon Delirium are better than the Beatles, and by the transitive property, more popular than Jesus. So, uh, Les Claypool was born in 1963. As we know, Sean Lennon was born in 1975 there. Yeah, he's I mean, Les Claypool could be his father. I mean, Julian sounds a ton like John. He did in the 80s. Yeah, and, and that, so it must just be a decision. Like, it's got to be. I'm going to sing like... I mean, I could like sound that. like John if you put enough... You know, it's like a yeah, you, cho- you choose to sing through your nose. You have to do the nasal thing. Yeah. Entry 1395.IS3321. Certificate number 21995. The Viking. The Viking? Or Viking, as you uh, Englishmen would say. English? Uh, this was the um, replica Viking ship that was deployed to, which World's Fair was it? The, the Chicago World's Fair. Right, right. The, the 400th anniversary of... Or 1892 or whatever. When was, right? when uh, Columbus sailed the ocean blue. Yeah, well, in 1892 Columbus didn't sell the ocean blue. In 1892. 1892 Columbus didn't do jack. He was died. Uh, this is amazing. Uh, our friend Matthias. I'm probably saying it wrong. Ma- Matthias. Matthias probably, since he's Norwegian from Bergen, Norway. Uh, in the past, he wrote to share his. Conspiracy theory about the Africola logo being Nazi derived. I remember. I remember. <laughs> uh, he is, in fact, a professional Viking Age archaeologist and a scholar in Old Norse literature. Yay! And a hobbyist uh, in Viking ship reconstructions who lives in Bergen, Norway. I am so excited that he's writing in. Thank you, Matthias. This is going to make you Unless so happy. you're yelling at us. Here we go. I am happy to report that I am not writing you to nitpick. Yes. Only to add additional information. That's the best kind. Here, this is going to be your favorite sentence in the history of sentences. There was nothing about the content of the Viking Age proper that I would call factually false. Okay. You know, from a, from the standpoint of Scandinavians and Germans... That's the biggest compliment you can get. <laughs> it really is. Very little here was factually <laughs> false. I can not criticize you very much. As much as I would like. <laughs> he does think we overemphasize the Gokstad ship. Okay. Whereas, in his opinion, the Oseberg ship, found in 1904, is even more stunning. Found in 18 or 1994? No, not, sorry, in 1904. The Os- Osenberg ship? Osenberg. Maybe because it postdated the... Um, Osenberg. Did we not mention it because it postdated the World's Fair? Ship. 
he sent us um, the wiki some Wikimedia photos of the uh, the intricate Ooh. wood carving on the keel. Oh, it's so beautiful! And it's if that has not been restored, that is just in beautiful shape. Oh, that's really beautiful. Uh, he's right. All please go look at um, pictures of the Osaberg ship. He recommends and everyone listen. Several people told us. I think during the show we made a plan to visit the. Uh, the Viking Ship Museum in Oslo, and I couldn't figure out why I had not done so before. In fact, it is closed and over budget and is going to be closed for years. Oh, boo. So. What, what, you know, they, 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 uh, they're 80% tax up there. They can't keep their museums open. Not just that, but they're like $400 trillion Petro profits fund. And the fact that in Blood Norway, money. even, and I don't even drink, but a beer is like $34. You would think that a dollar that would cover the beer and $33 would go to restoring Viking ships. Thank you. But that is not, in fact, how their economy works. It's amazing that they found this just buried in the ground and they dug it up with their 1890 shovels and they carried it across Bergen and their 1890s buggies. He says to go to the Roskilde Museum's website where you can watch step-by-step reconstruction of uh, Viking ships and boats. Uh, and it says that the museum will, in fact, build you a ship if you are willing to pay for it and want to own your own Viking ship. Okay. Well, of now the, I know. Of the two of us, one of us is a millionaire who could build his own just, Viking I ship. I just spend all my money on first editions of... F. Scott Fitzgerald. No, 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 no. I don't want to. I don't want a first edition anymore. Now, what I want is to ride on your Viking ship. Matthias wants to answer two questions that came up during the episode. We were asking whether the uh, uh, the the peafowl found in the Gokstad burial ship uh, was a peacock or a peahen. Yes. He answer. does not know, but he appears to find. He has found some sources that report that two peacocks were actually found. Oh, um, so they were like which means, burial rites. Yeah, which means that the Wikipedia is out of date, and in fact, it could very well be a male and a female. It could be a, a breeding pair. To accompany the the Viking lord to the next life. He wanted two super loud birds. <laughs> and he wants them to be able to have more. He wants a family of, of pea chicks yeah, in the pea next chicks. life. I also I, uh, I also assume, assumed during the show that the, we don't know what the Vikings would have Named their ships. No one knows. Matthias reports that is patently false, and we know a surprising number of Viking and post-Viking name, post-Viking age Old Norse ship names. Please um, tell me. Some of the Icelandic uh, sagas include the names. Uh, most if famous they named w- one of their ships Buttercup, I'm going to be so thrilled. Uh, Ormrin Longi, the long snake. Oh. Um, That's pretty Viking. Most of them are animals. Falky the hawk, Uxi the ox, Drekki the dragon. These are also the names of the American gladiators in Norway. Uh-huh. Gunnarsbot, that just means gunner's boat. Uh-huh. It's not very good, right? Gunner's bot. Uh, FIFA, the arrow. Rosebud. Trekulir is a ship that was, after a, after a, a massive repair, it was renamed Woodbag. Presumably, it was not looking so hot after its refitting. <laughs> Woodbag. The SS Woodbag. You're a Woodbag. Uh, so, uh, so how do they know these names? Are they carved in the stern? Uh, they're found in histories. And some oh. of these are from later. Like, the, I, I guess, apparently, one of the most famous ones is the Maria Sooth. I'm saying that wrong. Which would be the Virgin Mary's ship. Oh, so, so post. clearly, yeah, post-Christianization. Mm-hmm. Um... He encourages us to go to 
Uh, he didn't do the link either. He thinks we should all go to the petition on change.org urging the Norwegian government to ref- to fund the uh, preservation and the reopening of the Oslo Viking Ship Museum. Come on, Omnibus. If we have any power in the world, it should be to through our combined efforts to reopen the Oslo Viking Ship Museum. Go to Red Viking Skipena. I apologize, well which done. means save the Viking ships. Uh, and tell the Norwegian government what's what. Use some of those uh, dirty Petro money to fix those ships. Now, this was also the uh, show where I reported going to the Unisphere, the World's Fair, unofficial World's Fairgrounds in Queens, and I thought it was a little bit lame. Okay. I, I The Queens Museum is cool, but except for that, it's not as vibrant as, say, the Seattle Center. Um, there, a lot, all the fountains were turned off. The hot, hot dog stand looked kind of sad. The lake smelled bad. Mm. However, Tom was the one who pointed out that I missed some of the attractions. If you cross behind the Queens Museum, if you cross Grand Central Parkway, you will actually see what? Oh, the New York Hall of Science. So there is another. Oh, there's nice another thing. You have to cross the on the other side of the expressway. Park. He also wants to invite us to a Mets game if we're ever, oh, if we're ever out there. I I, I would happily go to a Mets game. He uh, recently retired from an evil finance job, and now he's a stay-at-home dad, presumably living and dying on the Mets, which is not as painful this year as usually. Um, we'll go back to Long Island in a second for your for some geography criticisms of your work. But one more thing about the Viking: this is pretty great. Scotty is from St. Louis. And he says, he points out that St. Louis had a real official World's Fair, not like that fake Queens one in 1964. And they also built a replica of the Santa Maria. St. Louis? Yes. Uh, It's really, I mean, taking the Santa Maria to Chicago is a stretch, but St. Louis, it's it's a a real stretch. No, it's a lot easier. It's further south if you're coming in from New Orleans. But you got to sail upriver. Less. Oh, I see. Yeah, Chicago, Chicago you're, you're coming in, in from the St. Lawrence Seaway. Yeah. yeah, is the yeah? I bet the Mississippi's navigable for the Santa Maria up that far. It's not that big. Isn't no. that what we've discovered? Yeah. No, the Santa Maria could make it. It's just that you have to really have a, have a tailwind. Uh, after the fair, I guess because the city, the mayor of St. Louis was a proud Spanish-American named Alfonso Cervantes. Seems fake. Mm-hmm. Um, he encouraged the city to buy the boat, which he intended to... Oh, and he moved the Spanish pavilion from the fair and moved it... Oh, no, wait. This is this is actually the same World's Fair. This is the Unisphere one in Queens. Uh-huh. So they built a replica of the Santa Maria for that, but St. Louis bought it after the fair. There we go. Mayor Cervantes bought, bought the Spanish pavilion from the World's Fair in Queens, moved it brick by brick to St. Louis, and planned to moor the... Santa Maria replica um, on the Mississippi there. It didn't get there till 1969. Washington, D.C. tried it out, and it flopped as a tourist attraction. Um, it arrived to general ridicule in St. Louis in early 1969, opened to the public, and then three months later, broke its moorings during a storm and washed two miles downstream before crashing into 
a bank on the Illinois side. Oh, Illinois sunk. again ruins everything. St. Louis got it back, raised it, repaired it. They're, that guy really loved, <laughs> really loved uh, Golden Age Spain, I guess. His name is Cervantes. So-called. Uh, but the city then sold it for $1. Kind of like uh, the Calacala. It's a very much a Calacala or an SS United States story. It moved back to its spot near the St. Louis Arch, where it's, uh, Scotty says it sat ignored for uh, another four years. Then somebody else bought it, moved it to Florida, and tried for the third time to make it a tourist attraction, this time in Titusville, Florida. A year later, it was gutted by fire, but sank again. Why does this only happen to ships? Right? Like, where else is there this thing where cities are like, no, 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 we have to, we're going to save this one. And then they it's the neg- rubbish theory. Yeah, they neglect it and it burns and they steal all the the, the tablecloths. I assume it's just a corollary of the don't bone a, don't own a boat thing. Right. Hole where, in the water. Where boats are just terrible. Sorry, you can finish the, the terrible joke about it. No, 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 it's good. You, a hole in the water where where you throw your all your money. Throw your money into. Except you want me to throw mine into um into it's a Viking, first edition. A, a Viking ship now. It's a boat. It's still a boat. It's still yeah. a boat ownership. Yeah. What if we built a Viking ship, but we built it as a car? Kind of like one of those floats in Animal House. The Spanish Pavilion, however, is still standing. You can stay at a hotel in downtown St. Louis, which has been, which is a remodeled version of the Spanish Pavilion from the 1964-65 World's Fair in New York, confusingly. Entry 614.PR0322. Certificate number 43376. Ice Capades. Armchair Rambo points out, and it's a fair cop, that we did not mention Ice Capades, probably the high watermark of their mention in popular culture, which is the song on the eponymous debut Ramones album, Judy is a Punk. Do you, are you familiar with Judy is a Punk? Jackie is a Runt? I am all too familiar with Judy is a Punk. But somehow I had not realized that the third line is they both went down to Berlin, joined the ice capades. They did. I I guess I had never heard that right. Uh, it's a little bit confusing. In the first and second verses, Jackie and Judy go down to Berlin and join the ice capades. We don't know why. We don't know why. The third version, they go to Frisco, right? Yeah, they go to Frisco and join the SLA, the Symbionese, Symbionese Liber- Liberation, Liberation Army. Army. Oh, so they they evolve over time. At first, they went. To the ice capades. But who's going down to Berlin? I mean, is it... Swedes. <laughs> right. Danes. Uh-huh. Vikings. Is it... Who are... Where are Jackie and Judy where they can go down to both Berlin and Frisco? Well, in the United States of America, there is a... I was Ber- wondering if it's Berlin, New Jersey. Well, there's a Berlin in New Hampshire. You can't go down to there. Uh, there's a Berlin in Connecticut. Um, <sighs> the Ramones are from what? Long Island? Yeah. So Connecticut would be the only. There's a Berlin, New Jersey you could go down to. It's very difficult to go down to New Jersey from Long or to Connecticut from Long Island. I guess so. Well, no, because Connecticut's if you're like up in Montauk, Connecticut is actually you'd have to go down. You would think of Connecticut as at least over because it's inland. Well, no, the way Long Island is pitched, right? It's true. It's probably due due west. I still don't think it's down. I think I think that if you are all the way up, well, let's just get to the bottom of this. Where your your uh, Long Island geography is going to come up 
It comes up over uh, and over soon, and over. When we get to the Princeton incident. All right. So here we go. The Princeton incident. The Princeton incident. If you're in Montauk, you are. Oh, but that's the other thing. Connecticut is also. It also, at, the at coast the of angle. Connecticut goes east-west. But you are at the, certainly the latitude of at least Stamford, if not Bridgeport. You're up there by New Haven when you're in Montauk. Where, you could go down to Berlin. I don't know where Berlin is. Where's Berlin, Connecticut? Let me see. It's probably mm, way You really can't. It's it? inland. Mm, all right. It's up by... Uh, Good theory, at least. It's up by New Britain. It's up toward Hartford. So maybe they're going down to Berlin, New Jersey. Uh, I don't know. It's not clear. To join the ice capades. I mean, you have First, to be going somewhere where you could yeah, I mean, the, join the ice capades. You cannot join the ice capades in Berlin, Germany. Right. Whereas no. you could go to San Francisco and join the SLA, presumably. Yes. At least at the time. 100% you could have. Um, I know that song, uh, well, just from my long history in punk rock, but also you because- You love punk rock. You, you're always writing about how much you love punk. I do, but my daughter was in the School of Rock system, and they learned Judy is a punk as part of her- the School of- I like how this is in the rock. curriculum- and she came home and she was like, I don't know if I like the Ramones. And I said, it's okay. A lot of people are going to tell you it's not okay to not like the Ramones, but I'm here to tell you it is okay. You don't have to, you don't even have to like the Clash. My kid, whoa. Yeah, no, I'm serious. You don't. My kids both love the Ramones, weirdly, just from listening in the car. I mean, it's great to love the Ramones, but you don't have to, is what I'm saying. You're not going to be able to stand the credits of a Spider-Man movie. You can... Prefer the Go Go's to the Ramones and the Clash. I'm here to tell you. And and, and everything's and le- fine. They let you vote. Everything's fine. You can go off to college. You never have to tell anybody. Although you could get a T-shirt made that said, "I prefer the Go Go's to the Clash," and I mean, you're going to have a lot of conversations that you might not want to have, but it's fine. Entry 221.ES0601. Certificate number 49146. The Chronophile. This was about futurist Buckminster Fuller documenting every day of his life with a very exhaustive journaling this system. This is a, a fairly recent episode. It is. Uh, I got something wrong at one point. Brian complains that I mentioned barium in conjunction with colonoscopies. He wants us to warn our listeners, please do not eat barium before a colonoscopy. Before an MRI or, or something, you or a CT scan maybe, you want to take barium. Can for, you get for, barium at the grocery store? Uh, you can get berries. Does yeah, that count? No. Oh, by the way, I want to walk back my anti-salmon berry stands that, okay. that I've expressed several times. Okay, let's hear it. I was hiking in uh, in Oregon yes. on the coast last week. Some trail that it looked like nobody had been on in months. There was like one guy kind of whacking away bushes and tried to warn me off like, you don't want to go up this part of the coastal trail. It's And I was like, is it muddy? And he was like, well, it's just overgrown. And did you keep going? I kept going. And you realized it was overgrown with salmon berries, delicious salmon berries. It was overgrown with delicious salmon berries. The, some kind of plump bird, perhaps a grouse or pigeon of some kind, was mm-hmm. w- they were eating their fill. Mm-hmm. But the salmon berries were so ripe, because this, nobody's ever on this part of the coastal trail, that they were literally like turning reddish purple. And falling off the vine. They weren't like the pale orangey pink that tastes like nothing. And it was as good. They were as good as a raspberry. Yeah. I, I now think that 
we just you just need to leave the salmon berries alone. They get Kids. very long. They get long as your thumb. But they don't grow on vines. They grow on like kind of mm, sticky sticky cane. They grow on like blackberries. Nope. No, it's not a cane like that. It's um they grow they're bushes. They're bushes. And but they're kind of um uh they're like uh it's like a balsa almost. It's a well anyway. If you don't know what a salmon berry is, you're missing out. Well, there uh uh Brian says you should drink drink nothing the day before a colonoscopy. In fact, you should take barium before a CT scan or an X-ray exam. It says here that barium is never found in nature as a free element because it is highly reactive. Well, how am I supposed to drink it then? Uh, and it says it has very few industrial applications, but uh, it is used in high-temperature superconductors and oil well drilling fluid. I feel like the Addenda Show has more Wikipedia reading than a regular it entry. It does, because a regular entry, we're supposed to just we, know we've, what we've already about. We've already read a bunch <laughs> of primary sources. Not so much this one. But water-soluble barium is poisonous and has been used as rat poison. Speaking so. of, uh, not of rat poison, but of Buckminster Fuller, uh, writer Neil Shirley, who is an omnibus listener, recommends a new book coming out by... Alec Navala Lee, I guess previously best known for Astounding, a book about the early days of, uh, you know, the early pulp science fiction writers, apparently has written the definitive Buckminster Fuller book, and it's coming out this fall. So I want to recommend Inventing the Future, The Visionary Life of Buckminster Fuller by the Hugo Award-winning author of Astounding. Um I told Neil that we would plug the book, and he said, I mentioned the exchange to the author and told him he ought to mail you a copy, but I think he's nervous about sending unsolicited books. Hmm. Well, I, I think, why would an author be nervous about something? Like, what's going to happen? What am I going to do? Send it back? No, you're going to send give it to him the a, bomb squad? You're going to be like, ha ha, you gave me a free book, and now I'm going to pan it. Uh, I would definitely read that, Alec. Should you be, for some reason, listening to this for pay only entry in our show for the first time? Neil has a friend who loved Buckminster Fuller so much he almost named his son Buckminster Fuller last name. Oh, don't do that. Yeah. Neil said, you might as well just name the kid hit me in the face with a dodgeball. <laughs> I mean, the thing about naming a kid Buckminster is they have to go by Buck or Bucky. Bucky. Both of which not are bad not name. great. The thing about Bucky is you it's a pretty it's like a pretty preppy name. Hey, Bucky. My theory is you should name a girl Buckminster and just call her Minnie. Oh yeah. Right? Mm, no. <laughs> <laughs> you were with me right up till the beginning. A listener named David points out that uh you know who else had a, a more or less a chronophile? Who? Andy Warhol. Oh, sure he did. He had this thing where he would just when the mood struck him, he would gather up a bunch of junk, rubbish theory again, sitting on the, sitting around in his factory, uh, and seal them into, he would seal them into time capsules. But this would just mean putting them in a cardboard box and taping them shut. And it's the same problem, right? Nobody knows what to do with Andy Warhol's crap. Warhol. Sorry. Warhol's crap. That's when Bowie tries to say it at the beginning of song for Andy Warhol. Warhol. The Andy Warhol Museum in Pittsburgh does have a ton of these, and occasionally they will just 
open one up and put it on display. Um, I'm looking at their archives study center right now. They have 610 of these cardboard boxes. Oh, he didn't, he didn't, he didn't, um, <laughs> he didn't put a date on them. Well, it says he started doing it in 1974, but it also says they span a 30 year period from the fifties. So maybe he periodically boxed up period stuff from a certain time in his life. And, Put a, so so yeah. it's just random. It's just like his his phone bills. It's and, funny. It's this great fancy room that looks like a you know an archaeological or paleontology lab. But oh, behind all the cool. glass cases are just old timey seventies era cardboard boxes. What what is that website? I am at warhol.org. Warhol. 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 Look for look for the archives study center. At Warhol.org. Andy Warhol is one of these artists that when he died, he was so fascinating to everyone. But how long will that last? 15 minutes. He, uh, it appears that, yeah, I guess he wanted, he wanted his, even his garbage to be famous for 15 minutes in the future. That's, that's why you make a time capsule. So where am I looking here? I've got exhibitions, events, art and artist. Well, I don't have a site map for the Andy Warhol research center. Online, I'm gonna look at it. Just Google Warhol Research. Sorry, Warhol Archives Study Center. I don't want Google to know that much about me. Use DuckDuckGo <laughs> to look up. And one final note about geodesic domes, of which I drove past a few in um, going to or you know you go down to Oregon and oh, yeah. there's so many of these great northwesty. 70s or 80s looking, you know, uh, cedar-sided homes, but they're, they've are they got the weird triangular windows and they're shaped like Epcot Center. Um, and they all have leaks and smell <laughs> like moss. I would imagine. Brian uh, mentioned, brought to my attention, the Golden Eggs Sewage Treatment Plant in Baltimore. Golden have, Eggs. Have you ever heard of the Golden <laughs> Eggs? No. Look up the Golden Eggs of Baltimore. It's an 80-foot waste treatment facility but with these two giant tanks, 80-foot tall tanks full of look at them. full of anaerobic digesters. They each hold 3 million gallons of poop and pee, but they're giant golden alumin- golden pl- plated or golden painted aluminum covered uh geodesic dome-like things. Well, you Baltimore know, gets all the good stuff. The thing is, weirdly, that oh, sorry, 150 feet high. That feet um, diameter domes like that are uh, are not uncommon in sewage treatment plants. The one here in Seattle's Normandy Park has a kind of um, like a like a golden dome. That's just where where sewage wants to be. It does. It I mean, feels it, most happy and and gives up its, you know, gives up its microorganisms if you put it in a golden dome. Well, it's kind of, um, it's kind of like the 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 plant that they built uh, out in the Nevada desert where they're going to keep all the the uh, the nasty nuclear bits. Is that also a golden dome? No, but you know they build it so that future generations of futurelings that don't that don't know that better. don't speak English will say like, "Oh, stay away." But the golden dome suggests. If that I saw a golden dome in the desert, 
future links are going to first place I'm going. Yeah, they're going to flock there. They're going to come to Normandy Park or Baltimore, and they're going to go look at the Golden Dome. It must be their temple. What would you make it look like so that you could assure that with complete cultural independence, no one would want to go there? You could make it look like a big poop, <laughs> like the poop emoji. Like if. I think any creature that is sentient enough to be like unlocking doors is also going to even even like an octopus that poops differently, they're going to look at it and go, mm, "That's a big brown poop." If you didn't want to make anyone go, if you wanted to make it like so awful that no one wanted to go there, I guess you could just make it look like Vegas, the Trump White House. Oh, damn. got him! I wish you had a bell. Entry 059.ZC0603. Certificate number 36454. The Appaloosa. Apparently, I asked horse girls to write in <laughs> after the Appaloosa show. Because you got seven letters from horse girls? Only one has complied. Nita says, no corrections. You're going to love this. But it's it's with an asterisk. You might have made mistakes, but I was so giddy that you guys were talking about horses that I couldn't bring myself to notice. Oh. Spoken like a true horse girl. So wait, we might have made mistakes, but she couldn't. She was just so happy that horses were coming notice. out. She's freaking out at the end because we said the word fetlock. Yes. I'm dying in a good way. Yes. Is there a good way to the die? The word fetlock killed her. Uh, the fetlock is more like the ankle, apparently. She likes horses. It goes like this. Hoof, coronary band, pastern, fetlock, cannon bone, knee, and then the knee bone's connected to the horse bone. Yeah. Uh, she she owned a beautiful half Appaloosa oh. as a little girl. They brought her home as a weanling. I don't love the word weanling. Oh, that's somebody who loves the band Ween. <laughs> yeah. I'm a huge weanling. I love the bottoms of breasts. You know, Ween is on tour right now. I'm surprised you didn't see them when they came through. I have never seen Ween. Ween is unseen by me. You maybe are just a year or two too young to be a full Ween head. I think I'm about the right age. Why Why did I, you not become a Ween head? Which yeah, is not what true. they call I, I was a more casual uh, Weener. What are they called? <laughs> If they're not called wieners, then I want off this planet because there's no better word. I think I was already a Weezer fan. Oh, and you had to I, choose. I, I had a wee. I had to pick my one wee. Which band. is it going to be, Weezer or Ween? You know, uh, Springsteen just announced dates, and that's a band weirdly I've never seen. Bruce, and Bruce, Bruce. But I'm I'm hosting Jeopardy the. The night of the Seattle show. I mean, one of the great things about you is that for all you know, and it's entirely possible, Bruce Springsteen is a huge Jeopardy fan and like a massive Ken Jennings fan. He's always talking about it. It's the type of thing where you're a national media person. What if you went to his Broadway show and like just half of it is him in that self-serious voice being like, you know, me and Patty always watch Jeopardy every night. Just fantastic. A lot of questions in life. Don't have answers. Yeah. But in Jeopardy, all the answers are there. And you need to figure out the questions. That's it. And that, he just goes on in that vein for that, like 45 minutes. Just like, and then at the end, a peen to Ken Jennings. You know, we know that Patricia Arquette does not approve of my parenting, but that Bruce Springsteen almost certainly is a massive fan of Ken Jennings. How did we get to almost certainly? <laughs> because I hear, I know, so I know a guy who is his friend. Is it? Is it Lil Steven? 
No, it's Wesley Stace. Oh, right. And Wes... The novelist. Yeah, Wes the novelist, who uh, performed for many years under the name John Wesley Harding, is a, is a good pal of mine, and he became a good pal of Bruce and has been to his house many times, and he seems... Bruce seems like a real smart, like, good dude. I think and that's true. smart, I, good dudes love Jeopardy. He's, he's old. He's a smart, good old dude. He's not even that old. He's looking good. He he's looks pretty good. old. He looks good. How old is he? 70? I bet he's turning 70 very soon. Oh, he's 72. He's 72. Oh, snap. Oh, wow. He's right in the Jeopardy target <laughs> target audience he's range. My, he's my dad's age, but he looks hale and hearty. Yeah, well, because he's up there doing those windmills on that Telecaster. <laughs> yeah, windmills keep you young. <laughs> uh, so anyway, we've established that Bruce Springsteen is a huge Jeopardy fan. And you are doing Jeopardy when he's playing in Seattle, but... That doesn't help. What's he going to do? Stop the show and turn on Jeopardy? No, what he's going to do is make sure that I'm on the guest list so that I can <laughs> report to you, because I've also never seen the E Street Band in all the years. I think they have not yet announced like the California dates, because it's going to be part of a stadium leg, so maybe I'll have to go do that. So what, it's not he's not playing a stadium here? He's playing at the Showbox? Yeah, he's playing... <laughs> 1,200 seats? He's playing at Chop Suey. Uh, it's got to be Climate Pledge, right? Or is he Tacoma Dome? Does that count as a stadium or I mean, not? It, depending on the time of year, it might be at the football February. stadium. Oh, no, it's not at the football stadium. <laughs> and the week before when he's in Portland, it's midwinter break. So by law, all Seattleites have to be in Hawaii, and I'm going to miss that one too. Why would you even play in Portland if you were Bruce Springsteen in the E Street Band? Okay, 2023, there's a lot of dates in Sweden, Belgium. I'm looking at the wrong That's not Bruce calendar. Springsteen. Yeah, you like, Band. This is John Bon Jovi's site. No, they're playing they're playing in Europe. Yeah, that's I think that would be the first leg. Dusseldorf. Let's just go see him in Dusseldorf. Barcelona. No, these are in April, May, June, July. This I'm no this I'm talking about next year. This is next February. No, this is Oh, this is the 2023 tour. Oh, okay. Well, there's a American leg before that. Okay, live dates: Tampa, Orlando, Hollywood, Florida. Let's go. To, let's go to all those cities. They're our favorite it, cities, anyway. It is Climate Pledge Arena. I would which assume is the dumbest name for an, <laughs> an arena in the world. Austin, Texas, has something called the Moody Center. That's what Seattle should have. Seattle is a Moody Center. It is a Moody. We're center. never going to save the Earth if you keep complaining about. Bezos's arena name. You know, I just said Climate Pledge Arena is the dumbest name, but then all I had to do was look two lines down. The St. Paul, Minnesota Center is the Excel Energy Center. X letter X C E L Excel Energy Center. Well, they're all cor- they're all corporate names. And but then, Amazon left its name off ours in order to foreground what it really cares about. Climate pledges. Climate pledges. And then in Milwaukee is called the Fiserv Forum. Which right. almost sounds like some sort of fisting. The listserv forum? Listserv forum. Fisher? Um, I mean, all these other ones, Key Bank, Capital One, that all makes sense. But in Detroit, it's literally called the Little Caesars Arena. It's amazing to live in Detroit and the and the corporate sponsor, the biggest one there, Little Caesars. Arena, arena. By the way, Nita also, I think in the Ice Capades show, we talked about how the winter games are much more dangerous than the summer games. Yeah. But she wants to, she becomes, she comes from the world of, of uh, quite the equestrian world of uh, eventing and dressage. She thinks we need to look up these, she need to look up sport eventing, which is in, Horse her, jumping? In, her, in her mind, 
as uh, the most as death-defying as lose your skeleton. I don't know if I buy it, but thank you, Nita. A bravo to John for great research. Not butchered at all. Hey, hey, not butchered at all. That's the blurb we should put on our Patreon. That's like a German compliment. Not butchered at all. <laughs> I don't know if they'd ever go as far as to say at all. Not butchered, mostly. Uh, it turns out here that if you play in Connecticut, you'd actually play the Mohegan Sun, made famous by Tony Soprano. Yeah, somebody's got to play casinos in cleveland the stadium is called the rocket mortgage field house so we're never getting out of this appaloosa part of the addenda show because you're just naming naming springsteen dates these now. are so offensive all these stadium names there ought to be a law entry 987.ru0310 are you 0310 i am in fact not great van halen record that would be very old actually not at all Certificate number 52488. The Princeton Incident. Princeton Incident. Uh, Michael uh, has worked at, wants to let us know, this was a very John Taylor-centric entry. Mm-hmm. U.S. president turned John traitor. T- John Tyler. Sorry, did I say John Taylor? John, John Taylor. John Taylor from Duran from uh, Duran. Duran, right. He was also a U.S. president turned traitor. I guess he couldn't be president. He's not native-born. Not native-born. No member of Duran Duran will ever be U.S. president. But they are all traitors to the American cause. (laughs) Uh, Michael is from Virginia. He has worked at John Tyler Community College, but just renamed two weeks ago. What? Bright Point. What? Bright Point sounds like a sewage treatment plant. Bright Point sounds like an internet startup? Right. Except spelled... Like no, it sounds like a business software suite. Brightpoint, like organize your customers, whatever with Brightpoint. Brightpoint should sponsor this entry. In <laughs> they fact. should uh, use the promo code Omnibus. Brightpoint.com/slash/omnibus to get ten percent off your first year subscription to the Brightpoint customer management suite. Why did they take John Tyler's name off of their college? Can you guess? He was an Indian killer. Uh, well, no, his running mate was. William Henry Harrison killed all the Indians. Right. He was, because of the Mexican War. Mm, no. Uh, because he didn't die in the Princeton incident. He did not die in the Princeton incident. That's true. He met a girl. But let me remind you that he lived in Virginia. Okay. And therefore. He was a slave owner. He owned so many enslaved people. No. I guess, well, I guess the way to say that is he enslaved so many people. He probably he didn't. He just loved it. He couldn't get enough them of it. First, someone else enslaved them, and then he That's benefited true. from their enslavement. Well, as long as he didn't, he chose not to manumit them. He's he then he's enslaving them. Right. He enslaved so many people who had been. He continued to enslave so many people. How about that? Agreed. Um, I guess there's a the state of Virginia now, as purple as it is, has a program to rename educational institutions that have been named after slave owners. That uh, is going to change the name of a lot of places in the American was, South. Okay, listen, the program is to name, rename schools that had um, previously honored historical figures, Michael says, who either owned slaves or pledged allegiance to the Confederacy. Okay. That would be, That's gonna be 150% lot, of Virginians of that period. going to be a lot of Virginians born between 1700 and... 1850. And of course, Tyler was doubly qualified because he, despite having been a former president, 
headed south and joined the Confederate Senate. Right. Um, Double but, qualified <laughs> to get your name taken good. off of any university. <laughs> He's, they probably removed it first. That's why they need, that's why they went with Bright Point. Bright Point. I wish they'd come up with a Virginian who sure. did neither of those things. Or a Virginian who actively uh, opposed slavery on the Confederacy. See, now wouldn't that be a way to go? Um, or they could just rename it after Duran Duran bassist John Taylor. <laughs> Wait, bassist? Is that right? Yeah, he was the bassist. Uh, this is interesting. When we mentioned Sherwood Forest, the plantation that he had named after, you know, because he was such an outlaw. They could name it Nat Turner or Dred Scott. Sure. Uh, are they both Virginian? Yeah, and they both fought against slavery. From the inside. Hey, hey, hey. Um, I guess it was formerly William Henry Harrison's family plantation, Walnut Grove, and he bought it and re... That's nice that you, you buy it from your running mate. Uh-huh. Do you think Trump ever, like, uh, bought Mike Pence a plantation home? Not a single time. I'm, I I bet Trump found a way to charge Mike Pence for the the vacation home he already owned. He told him he could stay in his vacation home, and then he told a bunch of people what the what the key code was to his room. He leased it back to him. Uh, oh, it doesn't refer to his outlaw status vis-a-vis the uh, union. This happened much earlier. William Harrison, of course, would have been dead by then. It was when Tyler got outlawed from the Whig party that he renamed his his home Sherwood Forest. Oh, it has a pet cemetery for the Tyler family's pets. Oh. Which I think should be renamed the Bright Point Cemetery. Uh-huh. For the Bright Point family pets. The other uh, piece of mail we got about this show, you probably already saw on Facebook, and as I alluded to, it was people complaining that you don't know, speaking of Great Gatsby, where anything is on Long Island. I did get, well, I don't think it said I don't know where anything is on Long Island. No, that's Island. what I said. You don't know where a single <laughs> thing is. I guess, no matter what I guess, Nassau Coliseum, you're like, it's in uh, Rhode Island. It was a classic example of people that live in New York slash Long Island who think that everyone in the world should know where everything is in their tiny little weird rural corner of America. Imagine a version of the New Yorker cover, but it's like Long Island. <laughs> uh, and, you know, and of course, I intentionally antagonize people on this show, all people, but particularly uh, in that episode, I just named things that were on Long Island. People on Long Island have enough trouble with um, Billy Joel constantly running them over. With his helicopter. They're constantly ducking ducking a drunken Billy Joel. Oh, no, his hot motorcycle. That's what it is. He's out hot motorcycling. I thought this was interesting, though. John uh, points out, while he was looking at a map to help clarify some of your geography, oh, no, he says, relatively recently it occurred to him that the two counties that, you know, Long Island's divided once New York City ends, Long Island's divided between Nassau County and Suffolk County. Yes. He points out that that actually is a historical relic of the dividing line between Dutch yes. New York and English Long Island. Yes. N- you know, Nassau would have been the name of the royal house of uh, of the Netherlands. So Brooklyn and Queens were part of New Netherlands. Suffolk, further east, has a British name. You know, and when they changed New Amsterdam to New York, they left Nassau County alone. So the names still reflect the, uh, whatever that 17th century or whatever divide was. Who is Suffolk County named for? Is it just named for the city? The, sorry, the English. Must um, be. The Duke of Suffolk. That's the, what usually happens. 
See, I don't know because I'm looking something up on Wikipedia and I can't, it's, Wikipedia is not helping. Suffolk County named for, who knows, let's just say it's for uh, Reginald Suffolk. Yeah, Reginald who, Suffolk. Who was the, the most famous of the Suffolks. The most famous of the Suffolks. He was the Duke of uh, Suffolkshire. Nassau, confusingly. Hmm, that is confusing. Normally at this part of the Addenda show, we would uh, check out what's up with Esso at the Elephant. But I think we're recording this early enough in the month that we don't have any new Essowit information. Oh, that's too bad. We're sen- so we're sending out an Essowit SOS. We need you to suggest what Essowit might be up to. What do you think Essowit's doing right now, John? <sighs> Probably Keep- scampering around up to some hijinks. What time is it right now in well, Africa? It's like eight hours later in Africa, right? So it's the middle of the night. Essowit's sleeping. More. It's eight hours later in Europe, so. But it's- Africa's just south of Europe. Well, not the Kenyan part of it. No, that's true. I mean, it's, it is south of Europe, but it's not south of Greenwich Mean Time. Algeria is. So what is it? It's middle of the night there. It's middle of the night there. Esso it is. Esso sleeping, sleeping. What, what do you think he's dreaming about? His bottle of milk? Wrestling with that other uh, bad-influenced baby elephant? Yeah, I bet I bet he's thinking of a, of a cool mud hole because it's July. And I bet that's what he's dreaming about. Please send us your Esso it fan fiction. Oh, I'm not sure if I've ever read this particular um, part of Essowitz's webpage, which begins, every elephant is enchanting in their own way. It's like Anna Anna Karenina. I guess. (laughs) But it must be said that Essowit is an exceptionally cherubic calf. Exceptionally cherubic. Is that like a body, is that a body image thing? Are they saying that he's a a chonk? They're They're crediting his bright eyes perfectly round face and charming personality. Yeah. Okay. It's hard not to fall in love with orphaned baby bull Esuit. So maybe we got the best one. Maybe we got the most cherubic elephant. I think we, I think Esuit's always been the best elephant. But like, that's just because of his place in our hearts. But I think he's objectively the best elephant. Like this isn't just... I mean, Dumbo's mother loved him, too, and he had those freakish ears, you know? Yeah. Well, didn't Dumbo's mother die in a fire? <laughs> no. Dumbo's mother, in fact, survives the movie happily. Um, so let's thank Meg again for uh, for hooking us up with Esowit, the best elephant on the Sheldrick Wildlife Trust, who is dreaming sweet dreams right now. Dream sweet dreams. Sweet elephant dreams. And that concludes Omnibus Addenda, Volume 33. Futurelings, we thank you for your financial pledges that have made this monumental project possible. We hope that access to these important addenda items has validated your decision to support the Omnibus. It is vitally important that you attach these updates to the original recordings you discovered in their proper context for the convenience of future browsing by your civilization. We hope that our civilization survives long enough for us to provide you with future addenda to the Omnibus.